You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Welcome, all you weirdos, Kirkone refugees, and everyone who is fighting a darkness inside them every damn day. As always, we remain the mutant member of your Weird Science Podcast family. I am your host, Jason, nursing a hangover inside the wrong turn studio high atop stately Weird Science Tower. All right, so that's bullshit, obviously. Um, this week, Jason was at the New England Home Brewers Jamboree. So um, this is Ruben, and I was worried that I was going to be the only person here monologuing at you, which nobody really needs. So instead, I put out a plea on the uh, Get Fresh forum and uh i was kindly helped by our uh friend matt razor who everyone knows from his time recording on better podcasts than this so how you doing matt i'm good man happy to be here help, happy to help you out i didn't want to, didn't want to leave you uh flying solo there because that sucks <laughs> yes <laughs> it's it's no good <laughs> but the fun thing is i do have access to the weird science soundboard today so there will probably be a lot more sound effects on this recording than nice. Jason would ever allow. We like uh, sound effects on this podcast today, yes. at least. Yes, I'm a big fan of the sound effects. All right, so this week uh, we are going to talk about Ghost Rider and Wolverine Weapons of Vengeance Omega, X-Men 26, and Immortal X-Men number 15. Um, and I guess, Matt, I, I didn't really know that you were keeping up with all of these X-Titles. What? What's your kind of like knowledge base on what's going on with uh, Krakoa I mean, these days? Yeah, in general, I'm a Marvel fan, so I read pretty much everything. There's a few I don't read, but the X-Men, I've been keeping up with it. And I, especially lately after the uh, Hellfire Gala thing, I think it's really kicked into another gear. So it's uh, it's gotten a lot more interesting. I don't like the politics as much. Uh, I know you guys are big on that. Uh, some of the behind, <laughs> behind the scenes stuff and the Krakoan uh intricacies in and out of that stuff it's just i'm interested more of the classic x-men fighting i'm happy to see how it gets back to that while also integrating everything that's happened over the past few years here yeah so you were enjoying the kind of reversion to more of the status quo where they're uh, you know a struggling community yeah kind of i do like the that they, they have actual enemies they're actually fighting other mutants and it's it's just it's, it's an interesting just overall to see how it goes and but without getting rid of everything i don't want all the other stuff for a race yeah. i just want a new status quo, more or less. And hopefully for the entire Marvel Universe, not just for the X-Men. Yeah. I think I share that point of view. I was really dreading the idea of a reversion to the old, you know, tried and true plot line for the X-Men. Um, but I think what my issue was really was that they were going to just kind of put everything that's happened in the last five years in a closet and sort of forget about it like they usually do with big events. Yeah. And I'm fine moving back to this more traditional arrangement as long as what we get is a recognition that all of that stuff happened, right? And they yep. seem to be at least you know, in the first four or five issues that have come out since the Hellfire Gala willing to remember like there was a society that they formed and everybody was trying to play nice for a while. Yeah, absolutely. It's just going to be interesting uh, next year or two here to see how it goes. So you said you're a general kind of um, Marvel fan. Have you been keeping up with the Ghost Rider stuff? I read that. I, I'm not as big a Ben Percy body horror guy, but I have been reading it. So this is stuff I have been reading. So it's it's all good yeah. to me. Is this consistent with kind of his other stories? Because I actually found this more enjoyable than his Wolverine and oh, X-Force yeah, stories. Yeah. It's, it's very much in line with all that. And then Ghost Rider was the same. And, and you weren't reading that, right? So mm -mm. this is definitely Talia's in this and um, uh, a bunch of stuff from that Ghost Rider book. So it all, it all kind of ties together. Yeah, similar. Well, yeah. Cool. I guess we'll 
kick it off with a conversation about that because um, I'm thinking about it right now. So Ghost Rider and Wolverine Weapons of Vengeance Omega, written by Ben Percy, Jeff Shaw, Rain, ah, sorry, written by Ben Percy, art by Jeff Shaw, colors by Rain Burrito, letters by Travis's, uh, uh, VC's Travis Lanham, and designed by Stacy Zucker. And Jim, edit all that out and make it sound better. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which guarantees it's going to be a mess just, just like it came out of my mouth. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this is the, the ending of this Weapons of Vengeance crossover event, um, which sort of seems like it was shoehorned into the present day Fall of X storyline. It very much could have just been a standalone Ghost Rider Wolverine story. But to my surprise, I actually have thought that this was a more engaging kind of story for Ben Percy to write than other Ben Percy stories I've read. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this ending to me was somewhat predictable and somewhat um, cliche in how it wrapped up and ends up ultimately lowering my impression of the whole crossover event. Not terrible, but um, not not an amazing story that I would ever tell anyone to go out and read. What were your general thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree. I don't. It's a, it's great as like an isolated thing. I don't think it needed to be integrated with X Men certainly. Um, but it's I guess you kind of have to if you want to pull Wolverine into it these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just a standard story. I, I, probably you know not not my not the best thing I've ever read. But I <laughs> enjoyed think- it enough. Do you think this demon Bagragul that they kind of finally, I guess, name in this issue is going to come back? I mean, it's sort of alluded to at the end that I, I could see them continue. pulling it into the the uh, Ghost Rider book. Yeah, um, something like that. It's a cool looking guy figure, uh, yeah. dragon demon thing. But the premise of it, a, a kid that the demon inhabits and all that's kind of weird. But maybe it can take over somebody else later on. Or it's kind of it kind of reminds me of Venom, honestly, where it's like a symbiotic relationship. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> um, when, when he loses it, he's like, give it back to me, you know, that kind of stuff. So Yeah, yeah. That part is a little weird. I guess we'll, yeah. we'll jump into the actual plot. So this starts out, we're in Utah, and we, we get a scene of random mutants blowing up a house. <laughs> and this this is the first thing that kind of just weirded me out. I, I get that the Hellfire Gala happened and everybody's angry, but uh, two kind of reactions to this. I thought everybody was told to go back through the gate. and They were. Yeah, unless, unless like, you were able to fight the hypnotism or whatever, yeah, which, so, which these two guys would not be able to do. Yeah, for sure. So, and this is going to be like now a running joke that I, I just it always it's something I think immediately. I'm like, how does this person? How did they learn the Red Diamond Protocol? Right? Like, it seems to be <laughs> no the way. only way that you should have been able to resist the order to go through those gates and disappear. But we yep. get you know random unnamed mutants in a car out there fighting the good fight against humanity. And then later, there's a scene where uh, the Helverine is being told to go attack another mutant settlement, and it's like 97 mutants. And I'm like, <laughs> apparently, the Xavier like get out of get off of Earth thing was more of a suggestion than a command <laughs> because there's like tons and tons of people that are still on Earth. Apparently, I mean, maybe you had to be by a gate. Maybe they just weren't anywhere near one. Maybe yeah, it was like 100 yeah. miles away or something. Yeah, I guess they're camping. Eh, maybe that's yeah. true. I don't know. <laughs> it only lasts for like 10 minutes. And yeah, then they started walking that. and they never made it to the gate. And then by the time <laughs> it was over, you know, they were just like, oh, I'll go back to what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just another time of Xavier kind of taking over my mind. I guess that's a Tuesday. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you have these, these random mutants and they're kind of in a rich neighborhood and they... Firebomb a house. I don't know why. 
I don't know how that gets at anyone, but uh, they do it. And then the Helverine shows up, and that was from the last issue. You get like a Ghost Rider, no, not Ghost Rider. It's a what's his name? Uh, I just said a Bagra Ghoul Wolverine fusion. He's got a Weapon X helmet on him so that the government can control him. Uh, and he sees these mutants and decides to attack them. He kills them. There's kind of this cool Wolverine Ghost Rider scene, which I enjoy the art. I think throughout this whole issue, I thought a lot of the stuff just looked cool. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's really when you like think through it that it kind of falls. Yeah, apart. why does Wolverine have a skull head if it's the, <laughs> if it's taken over by the demon? You know, it's just weird the whole <laughs> thing. And then he goes to kill this poor innocent baby that's in the car. I guess. Too. Yeah, yeah, does, yeah. I so guess he, he kills it. I mean, they don't I don't think he show. does. That was oh, another thing so? I flagged as like a problem. So yeah, so he kills the parents, right? That's pretty easy. <laughs> he mutilates them. He doesn't just kill them. He oh yeah, yeah. He kills them, them and he starts to make whatever. art out of it. And yeah. then he realizes, hey, there's a baby in the back seat. Which great parents, right? They bring the baby to do a car bombing. But uh, yeah. But after that, um, he sees it, and Father Pike, you know, back at base, is giving him orders, saying like, oh, you know, go finish the, go finish him off, right? And Father Pike gets interrupted briefly by by Johnny Blaze, mm-hmm. who's kind of at that base too, and it sort of seems to suggest that like unless Pike is actually directing him, he's not gonna complete the death or something. Yeah, but, I think he was interrupted enough. Uh, Johnny Blaze saved the day and stopped him. I guess. Yeah, You're probably right. Yeah, but then but then he like inputs some other command, you know, and this is where he turns and sees oh, there's 97 other mutants in some town nearby. Mm-hmm. Decides to get on his bike, decides to like, you know, zoom off for that. And I was like, wouldn't Pike be like, hey, finish the job? Or wouldn't the wouldn't the demon decide I'm going to finish the job? It's just really yes. weird. It's like he decided he just can't show that in the art. Yeah, it, <laughs> you don't want to show that in the comic. I think you're right. Killing yes. babies, don't want to do that. I don't think that's yeah. bad. I just thought they could have had him. I, maybe it's like that's a road too far for Wolverine, right? Yeah. <laughs> he killed a baby. But yeah. Anyway, so then, so then we cut away and we we get uh, the buddy comedy pairing that everyone's been asking for: uh, Jeff Bannister and Talia War Road. Mm-hmm. And this is another part that makes no sense to me. So maybe you can enlighten me on how this makes more sense. So they're driving in Utah. They realize that they need to go to, or I guess they're they're driving in Tennessee and they know they got to get to Utah. Yeah, and they're like, we'll never make it in time. And then Talia enables the Hellfire boosters. Which sort of to me look like Ghost Rider tech is—is is that something that's going on in Ghost Rider's story? Or I want to say it is. She probably—I mean, she's been hanging out around with them, him a lot, so I'm sure that was installed at some point. But I don't remember exactly how it all went down. Yeah, it's super weird to me because I was like, can anybody just get these cool turbo boosters on your car? That <laughs> well, you said last episode that you like seeing when the things turn Ghost Rider. Oh, I turns. love it when he possesses it, but yeah. I didn't realize that he could like. <laughs> I guess retrofit your car and then get back on his motorcycle. You saw the badass. Of course, car. like old station wagons like this. Come on, 1970s station wagons. Who wouldn't want to have that? Yeah. Or a hearse yeah. or whatever. I don't know what they're driving. Yeah. Did you ever see the um the Quinjet that got turned into a Ghost Rider vehicle? I think so. In the Avengers. That was in um oh god, it was, it was Empire. Okay. It was like the one cool thing that happened in Empire is a Ghost Rider got in a Quinjet and it became a flame Quinjet. <laughs> So this just made me think, like, is that thing still around somewhere? Probably it's got to be, right? Like, I if don't know. you Somebody's don't actually somewhere. Him, him there, yeah. And so I need to see the Ghost Rider Quinjet come back. <laughs> that thing was badass. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, so they get their, their little their, uh, souped-up car, and they zip over to Utah. And then Father Pike, I guess, hears them enter the base. 
and decides he can't fight them, even though he just successfully fought Wolverine and Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he runs away. Did that make any sense to you? Not really. But I don't know Father Pike so much. I don't know really what he's all about. I know he's got a cool uh, hood on and, yeah. and shoulder pads, but... Like I said last time, it, he's it's just blood, <laughs> brother blood uh, yeah. cosplayer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really bizarre to me that he just, for whatever reason, decides these two random people who have shown up are too much of a threat that he's got to skedaddle. Mm-hmm. But he does. He uses his little magic portal and gets out and um, takes Bram with him, who... I guess at some point in time, he also wakes up and then starts bitching about how he doesn't have the demon in him anymore. Yeah, he's going through the withdrawal symptoms of losing yeah. the demon. Yeah, he liked the demon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and they get uh, Jeff and Talia wrecking the place and freeing Johnny and then taking the Weapon X helmet off him so that he can zip over to wherever the Helverine is. Mm-hmm. And then from that point, we just get some... Again, nice art where there's just a big battle between the Helverine and Ghost Rider, but nothing of consequence. And at the end of it all, um, the Father Pike, I think, kind of gets killed. And uh, Wolverine and Ghost Rider are able to subdue the, the Bagragul, which for some reason decides inexplicably in the middle of the fight to, to flee from Logan and try to jump back over to Bram. And... Then we get yeah, kind they, of a penance stare moment. That yeah, he does a super penance stare basically, and just freezes it and in <laughs> some cor- some kind of like uh, molten lava looking frozen stuff. I don't yeah. know what it is, but yeah. it doesn't look like you would just leave it there. I think you no, want to exactly. So that's where I was going to go with that. So it's another thing where it's like this is the most important thing ever. It's a huge threat. Yeah, we we'll just leave it. Other side of the road. No well, thingy. I mean, it does say that it cast them into hell. So I was thinking that it would be transported to hell, but it doesn't seem like it from the last page. That's still there. No, just cool modern art at the side of the road that somebody's yeah. going to be like, "What the hell?" <laughs> somebody's going to grab a truck and put that in their pickup truck and take it home and sell it for millions of dollars. Yes, <laughs> a bagger cool original. Yeah. Yeah, and then we get one of my favorite tropes of, uh, you know, the end, mm-hmm. question mark, and then the statue seems to be crumbling, and there's some kind of, like, evil eye looking out. Yep. So, yep, that, that was the crossover. Wolverine's back to being Wolverine, no more hot claws, and I guess he's now going to go on his mission to avenge Krakoa after this kind of pointless detour. Yeah, you go, he's hanging out with Hulk, too. Yeah, <laughs> Wolverine number thirty-seven. Too, oh, so. great! Okay, another another thing that we need to see. Yeah, I don't know why that fight is always the thing that everyone likes. It's just kind of too cliche for me. <laughs> I don't know. That's what put him on the map, I guess. The first appearance of uh, Wolverine was in Hulk uh, one eighty-one. I think. Oh, is that is that the true? Okay. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he. I, I don't think he stands much of a chance against Hulk. At least the no. way they've kind of designed Hulk in recent years. No. So what would you give this one? Oh, man. Um, the art's pretty cool. And the story, although predictable, it wraps it up. So um, my disappointment level was pretty high. So I would probably lean towards like a 5.8. But if I were to be more objective to say this is a comic that's fine, if you're a fan of these characters, probably just generic 6. How about yeah, yourself? I, 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 I'm in the in the, the ballpark. I'd probably say 6.5 just because the art is really good. Yeah. So... Just and to get to see, it's just really just an exercise on what Wolverine would look like with a flaming skull and some different powers. <laughs> so uh, yeah, six point five for me. Yeah, 
All right. So speaking of disappointment, I think we can switch over to X-Men 26. <laughs> and uh, before before we started recording, I think you were telling me this was your least favorite of the three issues we're going to review today. And I wish I could say I disagree, but I kind of agree exactly the same as you. It just had a different feel to than the and some of the previous issues of X-Men. It just kind of like took a detour for a little bit. Yeah. And it's the same creative team, so I don't know what that is, but yeah, it took a it's like a major pumping of the brakes. I was very excited with the last story, and I think since Dugan's been in charge, there have been a lot of issues that just felt like nothing issues. Mm-hmm. And then the Hellfire Gala happened, and a lot of stuff happened, and then X Men twenty five happened, and it was like, okay, this is Fast and Furious moving forward. We're getting some plot lines and developments, and it all kind of makes sense. And then this one just feels. It's hard for me to explain, but it just feels um, like he thinks it's a bigger deal than it really is. Mm-hmm. And the actions of the characters just are are hard to believe. They're not really plausible. And maybe that's what bugs me more than anything else. Yeah, I'll go with that. That makes sense. Yeah. So the, the first part, like the very first part, kind of interesting. So we get a scene of, um, you know, Wilson Fisk's perspective of the gala. So he's there with, um, oh my God, what's her it's name? Typhoid, Typhoid Mary. Is she that's uh, right. Is she a mutant? Is that she is? Confirmed? Yeah. Okay. Which I she's one of those mutants that like is actually mutant, but nobody ever thinks of her as a mutant. Okay. Although like somebody randomly said that she was a mutant at some so point. So Wilson now has the keys to the kingdom because he's dating a uh, mutant. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So before they had invited, so it used to be like if you were a human and you were invited to Krakoa by a mutant, then you would kind of get amnesty. Mm-hmm. And so because she was a mutant, she was able to go, and then she decided to bring. Wilson Fisk over with her. And that okay. was supposed to be like a big, oh my gosh moment. And then the gala happened. So we never really got to see like what he was up to on Krakoa. Yeah. But yeah. So we started out with them at the, at the party and we see that kind of Mary got pulled away during the, the attack by Orcus on Krakoa by magic. And Wilson seems to be trying to organize the humans that are remaining, um, telling them that like, Hey, you guys need to get out of here. But yeah, like, oh, we're humans. We won't be killed. This guy was great. This ambassador from Ireland. He goes, uh, don't be daft, man. I'm the ambassador to the United Nations from Ireland. I'm not yeah. worth anything dead. And then the next scene, next page, it says moments later, the ambassador and all the remaining humans were murdered by Orcus. Yeah. It's like this guy's talking a big game. and He says dead. Yes. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. One second. I'm going to pause it. Yep. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, that ambassador was talking a lot of game and <laughs> <laughs> kind of got his comeuppance. So, um, yeah, so then we kind of see that Fisk had escaped the attempt to kill everyone. I don't actually remember how he got off the island, but I don't either. Um, but he did. And he meets up with Emma in the Morlock Tunnel. And I guess this would be after she had been sent there by Tony Stark. Yeah, everything's coming up Morlock Tunnel. Least, She's meeting a lot of people down there, it seems. Yeah, everyone knows how to get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the one place that Orcus doesn't bother to check. Yeah, and there there was the whole backstory with Fisk and uh, her relationship, I guess, in the past to kind of set this up. Yeah, that she'd been kind of manipulated by him. Yeah, before she kind of became her own empowered. So now he's taking like, advantage of again, and he's her boss again, basically. Yes. Yeah, that part I thought was this is probably the only this part's good, right? Yeah. At this point, I'm like, okay, this is an interesting continuation of the story, and I do like the idea, idea of him like saying that he's. Definitely has aligned interests with with the Krakoans, but that he's not going to you know be their pawn. They're going to be his pawn. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, okay, that's very Wilson Fisk esque. I can buy that. Yeah, 
And then the rest of the issue, like if that had been the end, I would have been like, okay. But then it starts to get stupid. So we see, you know, he was the guy that bought the Hellfire Club and um, Tony Stark's now hanging out there. I guess Tony's acting like he's drunk, but he's just drinking ginger ale. Is that what's going on here? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Telling stories about his time as Iron Man. And yeah. Yeah. I actually kind of think it's funny because in the in the Iron Man books, he's been kind of thoroughly beaten down, right? Like he's poor and his company has been taken from him and he had to return his Iron Man suit. He's lost everything, basically. Yeah. But then now we see him in the Hellfire Club and you have like all these people clinging on him and you know, happy to be around him. I'm like, I don't think that would really happen. <laughs> like, who are these people? Yeah. So, they would probably take his membership away. Like, uh, you're poor now. Get out. Yes. Yes. Well, I could buy that maybe he's there at the request to Emma, but yeah, I did think it was weird that the socialites are still around him. Yep. But in any event, he's telling his tales and uh, Emma in her Miss Kendall disguise like pulls him aside and they have a conversation. Um, I guess she's basically like, hey, you need to let Firestar know that Kate Pride is going to come and kill her. Yep. She's looking but, for the, the mole, I guess, is what. And then. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, at what point in time did Tony and Firestar connect? Like, I, I really don't understand where that's coming from. That seems to be just kind of out of the blue that Tony. I think they have a previously it. established relationship. I don't know when that last was happening, though. Okay. Those two. Interesting. But they ha- they have some sort of shared history where they would be able to talk to each other. Okay. Maybe they have each other's cell phone numbers or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But the we- the next scene is the weirdest one, man. You can go through that with is this uh, the one Ms. that bugs you out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just it's just the a way to, thing. <laughs> yeah, just to get her in the book. She definitely didn't need to be in here in this yeah. couple pages here. Well, I think Marvel's very excited about the the new Miss Marvel storyline where the actress that's playing Kamala is writing the comic or yeah. co-writing the comic. Yeah. Yeah, so I, mean, I read like that one. For that. I read that. You guys read that. It was okay. It wasn't. Yeah, I actually hated it, but <laughs> but it, but it, I mean, it's just it's a standard Miss Marvel book. Yeah, yeah. More than an X Men book at this point. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. So they show her at uh, Empire State University, funded by Orcus, and she sees she leaves like a class, I guess, and she sees these hooligans beating up a woman with. <laughs> uh, What's what's the skin condition that she has? I can't remember. You're telling me alopecia is what yes. she says she has, and she, which causes baldness. And uh, yes. they're beating the crap out of her because she looks different. Yes, because they're bald. calling her muty scum. Yes, and she's like, "Why are you hitting me? I just have alopecia. Please stop." Her <laughs> nose, her nose is bleeding. She's a mess. And so Kamala Khan comes up and goes, "I'm I'm going to punch you," but then she goes, "That's eh, probably not a good idea. I'm working undercover here." Yes. So she says, "I'm videotaping you." Which yes. actually is probably a better deterrent nowadays, honestly. Yeah, they want to be up on Twitter, right, and get doxxed. Yeah. You're up yeah. on uh, TikTok now, buddy, beating out, beating the <laughs> crap out of a very innocent person for no reason. Yeah. I would say this is uh, funny, though, that she doesn't want to intervene like as herself, because in the Miss Marvel comics, she, that's exactly what she did. I guess maybe this is after that she learned that that wasn't very effective, but... Yeah, she, she's supposed to be undercover, but she wears the big X on her belt. Yeah. And then everybody starts freaking out. And then I, I want to... Uh, defend jason though it was last week he said uh who who has a roommate that sits up all night with their boyfriend playing video games and you said that was normal and i i think that's very very annoying um because defend yeah, jason i'm defending you? jason you know why because because she's in high school she's not even in college she's up all night playing video games while the poor girl's trying to sleep on the on the other bed 
Come yes, on. Yes. All right. Well, I, I guess I was the asshole. <laughs> That's how Kamala, you about Kamala yourself. is the asshole in this. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't have a roommate anymore. That'll be funny if that's the next issue. Yeah. If somebody asks for a transfer. <laughs> yeah, she keeps getting different roommates because she's the worst roommate ever. <laughs> uh, I could I could enjoy that. Um, yeah. So that's just, a, I guess, a weird advertisement for that series. It yeah. doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And then it cuts to the bloom, which is Orcus's space station. And here we see, and this is the part that I think just really upset me. It just like doesn't make sense in my mind. So we've got Shadowcat, Kate Pride shows up. We know she's been kind of on this like mission of vengeance to try to take people out. And everyone thinks that um, Firestar's a traitor, right? Because mm-hmm. um, Jean Grey put this psychic thought into Dr. Stasis's head. And then he was like, yeah, she was the inside mole. Um, and so she shows up on this base and they detect that there's a mutant. And Shadowcat go- goes to the base and like kills all these orca goons, right? Like bisects them by like phasing them through oh, the wall. Oh, she's just brutally murdering people like she did in that issue a couple couple uh, month, a month ago or whatever. She's just killing everybody. Really bloody. Just dismembering people, like you said, bisecting them. She's not, um, yeah, she's not walking back from this, I don't think. Like she's now in many issues just like horribly murdered people. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Firestar's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Like she's coming for me. And then Shadowcat shows up and starts kicking her butt. And is about to finish her, and then Firestar like says, "Hey, this is going on." Blah blah blah. Like Jean did all this stuff, and then Shadowcat's like, "Oh yeah, that sounds like Jean. Okay, cool. I'm gonna peace out." Yep. And then she just leaves. <laughs> and if I were like Orcus, why would you think? Why would you trust Firestar at all at this point? Right? Like this mutant shows up, kills everybody except for the one mutant that's on the space station, and they try to cover it up with just like a a, a sword wound or like a. Punching her in the face. Yeah, I don't she know. punched her. She punched her. It was like, hey, that one's uh, to keep up appearances. Yeah. It's but like the most cliche thing ever. And, yeah, you have a sword and you didn't, you're not going to just chop her head off at the end here? Like, what's yes. going on? You killed everybody else. Yeah. So, I mean, they better address this in the next issue. Like, what's the cover up story? Like, and they shouldn't believe her one second, right? And if they're no. like, oh, I drove her off, it'd be like, how? And then, and then I mean, she has, she's like, she oh, I powers. don't want to explain, my, you know, my secret power being able to go through these gates when nobody else can. But that's exactly how she leaves. Right through the gate. Yeah. And you got to assume there's cameras all over this joint. Yeah, that's so exactly it, right? Like, wouldn't Orcus get any of this? Like, even if they don't have sound, right? Maybe they're worried about privacy rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're not recording the conversation where Firestar, like, spills the beans. Um, you'd still see, oh, look, this mutant left the station. And even if you don't see it, you'd be like, where the hell did she go? How did she get off the station, right? Mm-hmm. So there's enough there that just, it upset me. I thought it was dumb. Yeah, I would have just taken her off there with me and said, you don't need to be undercover anymore. But the, for some reason, they want to keep that going. Yeah. Or take her know. with you and like blow the hell out of the station, right? So there's no yeah. evidence. So yeah. anyways, that's that. And then kind of we get back to, right? So yeah, then we get to the, the final scene. Do you want to tell us about that one? It's a little weird. It's a uh, shadow cat shows up and talks to Emma kind of in the, in the shadows. Um, and then, and you know, Emma has like, she goes through the laundry list of all the people she wants to kill, including Dr. Stasis, Moira X, Baylong. And she's, it looks like she's about to wipe Baylong's mind, I guess. And then Tony Stark runs in and grabs her and says, uh, a word, Miss Kendall. And they start talking about all this stuff and you shouldn't do that. You got to keep, keep your undercover kind of stuff going. And then she kicks him in the balls or knees him in the balls. And then my favorite part of the whole issue is Tony's down because he, he's a little injured. 
and he's got a ring in his hand, and it looks like he's going to propose to uh, Emma, and Fei Long sees it. And I guess that maybe that's where the wedding comes from that's going to happen, I, or is yeah, that something that's just supposed to be, to be they funny? Have to, they have to play this. Now they have to get married because Fei Long saw it? Like yes. That. Yes. <laughs> I yes. like that. That was pretty funny, but it's 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 also really annoying. Yeah, what did you it's, think? it's an okay way to develop this. I mean, it could be an odd couple thing, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I could see Tony and her actually being attracted to each other and having a, a marriage of some type, even if it is a sham. Yeah. So what would you give this ultimately? Uh, I'd give this one a 6.5 as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting to be to like a lot more, but I'm, I'm fine with 6.5. That's okay. Yeah. Please. I mean, there, there's hits and misses on this stuff, man. I've, I've always said that it's overall, the stories have been pretty good lately, but I mean, everything's not going to be a winner. Yeah. True. I mean, I, I, I also, I liked, uh, Immortal, Immortal X-Men a lot more. All right. And that brings us to our third and final book, Immortal X-Men number 15, written by Kieran Gillen, artist Paco Medina, VCs Clayton Cowles on letters, and Tom Muller and Jay Bowen on design. Um, unfortunately, uh, Matt had to take off before we recorded this final section, but I will try to do him justice by giving a decent summary and um, sharing his thoughts about this issue. So this issue starts out with uh, Celine Galio and Sebastian Saul teaming up to find out why Orcas can't get their soldiers over to Krakoa to strip mine the resources. And we already know the answer. Um, it's Xavier kind of being the sad man on the island and killing anyone that comes on the island. Um, and this is, I guess, the Celine character study issues, kind of following the trend of prior Immortal X-Men issues where we always pick one member of the Quiet Council and do a solo issue kind of featuring their perspective on things. So strangely, I think this is it. Uh, if the Quiet Council is now completely disbanded, this is the last of the people who are ever invited to sit on the council getting their solo issues. So does this mean this issue is the end of Immortal X-Men? I sure hope not because it's certainly the best of the books that we're getting out of the X-Line right now, and I'd really hate to see this disappear anytime soon. So um, Celine and Sebastian are kind of talking and we have a pretty fun monologue from Celine where she talks about why Greco failed and how it was sort of foolish to stick a bunch of good people together with a bunch of bad people and assume that everything would work out. And she says, I didn't want to live in a happy paradise. I don't want to be freed from my oh so terrible, terrible curse. I want to eat people. <laughs> what a psycho. Um, and as she's Doing this monologue, she kills off some Orcus grunts who had gone over to Krakoa and been scared off by um, Sadman Xavier and his kind of mind games. So uh, Shaw talks to her and is like, yeah, that's great. You need to go find out what's going on on the island and why we can't get over there. Um, lead this group of people over there. And we know you, you Celine, have psychic powers. Can you test to see if you know my, my side dampeners that I've created are going to actually prevent... Uh, these people from getting their minds tampered with and she tries can't do anything to them and decides like oh great you can do it so at that point they come to the conclusion that it must be xavier left on the island i don't exactly understand how they come to that conclusion but they do and i don't know why celine doesn't go to the island to help the grunts but she doesn't <laughs> i guess for dramatic effect you always got to send your henchmen ahead before the big bad shows up and so they go to the island, they face Xavier, and we get something that I think a lot of fans are going to be really pissed off about, or have been pissed off about, and this kind of goes back to Inferno, where we saw Xavier using some kind of TK powers against 
Nimrod. So he sees the grunts, he tries to do some mind stuff to them, doesn't work, and still, you know, turn page turn and they're all dead. So presumably that means he uses telekinetic powers, which historically Xavier never had, but now he does. And that's the end of that line. Um, he also, Xavier, I guess, sits down after killing everyone and kind of thinks about what's happened and basically says no more. Well, not basically, but literally says no more. What that means, I don't know. There has been a lot of interesting kind of ramblings on X Twitter about maybe this is um, Xavier's Malcolm X moment where he realizes uh, being goody goody is not, you know, trying to believe in like humans and mutants coexisting is not an actual sustainable outcome. Um, but it seems like a big thing, or maybe it just means no more. I'm not going to be a sad sack sitting on the island um, and thinking about all the bad stuff that happened and all the means I got killed uh, from this point forward. I guess I should do a quick rewind. So back to the Celine Sebastian conversation, there was a moment when uh, Celine is kind of monologuing in her head and she talks about how um, she thinks it's kind of silly that Xavier thinks that Orcus was trying to get all the mutants killed, but um, that what was really trying to go on was that Orcus was trying to send them all to Mars, which we've kind of seen as like one possible take as to like what was going on with the send all the mutants through the gates thing. And she confirms that, yes, they were not trying to kill everyone. So they're not the ones that tampered with the gates. Um, and they don't really know where all the mutants went either, which I think is quite an interesting plot development. And it goes into my theory, which has been that all of the mutants are stuck in a Mother Righteous orb. They've been like shrunken and put into that kind of space. And that theory is even further substantiated by the other main plot point in this Immortal X-Men storyline where we see Exodus, Hope, and Destiny, and all the other missing mutants, minus a portion of the five um, that we don't know where they are, kind of walking through the desert still, and Exodus continuing to play out his uh, Exodus uh, fantasy, uh, Moses fantasy. And the mutants are kind of working together, walking through the desert, trying to survive as best they can in like a desert with no resources and using their powers to create food and water and shelter as best they can. And in the middle of that, we see this character, uh, Kafka, who was first introduced in Giant Size X-Men, Jean Grey and Emma recently. Uh, and then later, again, we saw this character in Bishop at the end of that terrible War College series, uh, patrolling the desert. And kind of looking out for possible threats to this large group of uh, mutants that are kind of looking for a sustainable position after being kicked off of Krakoa. And Kafka um, flies out and he sees Mother Righteous getting attacked by what looks like Wolverine. Uh, the Wolverine takes a look at this little insectoid flying mutant and starts to chase it. Kafka runs back to the kind of main group with Exodus and all those folks. And then a whole bunch of Wolverines pop out of the desert sands an attack, and then it's you know mutants, mutant refugees against you know a horde of wolverines, which is kind of getting a little bit overdone. I mean, we saw that in X Men twenty five, a Wolverine clone attacking. Now we see I don't know like eight or nine Wolverines attacking this group. I guess we're just going to see Wolverine in every single X book killing other mutants for no reason. But anyways, um, they attack until Exodus uses his um, powers and lifts them all up into the air and atomizes them and they're like yay go exodus so he seems to really be enjoying this whole savior complex thing that he's got going on and the mutants seem to be kind of rallying behind him which as we know gives him more powers so i can buy it that works for me and then they go back and find mother righteous and talk to her and she gives them a sad story about how 
you know, she's gone through the gates too, and that she was secretly a mutant. And um, she had found this paradise in the desert that she could show them. And I'm okay with this idea. They don't really question her because they don't really know that she's aligned with Orcus yet. She's really playing all the angles, but I'm not totally convinced that she actually is a mutant. Um, you know, she has magical powers, so she could have gotten into that place where they are through other ways. And I would assume that her saying that she was also a refugee um, is just a lie. But the mutants like Hope kind of buy it, hook, line, and sinker, and it gives them some sense of belief that they can find the other members of the five and start the resurrection protocol back up again if they just look to different areas, which is an interesting idea. So I am intrigued. I want to know where that goes. Uh, in the meantime, she takes them back to what looks like Krakoa. It's the Atlantic Krakoa, the one that she zapped it into some mysterious, um, well, I shouldn't say some mysterious, but one of her little orbs that like kind of floats around her right when the Hellfire Gala, or when, yeah, when the Gala was being attacked. So we now see the desert is kind of connected to that location, which makes me think that the mutants are all basically just inside of one of her orbs. And the reason that nobody can connect to them is because of her magical powers. Um, and so now they they seem to think she's a buddy and they're they're on their Krakow Atlantic island, kind of reestablishing their society there. But out in the desert, we see this teaser where there are well, there's like a apocalypse and a holding a chain that's got kind of a Jean Grey Phoenix attached to it, and then a bunch more Logan clones out there. So looks like the desert's filled with lots of clones of of evil mutants, which is kind of interesting. So overall, this this issue, I, I enjoyed this one. This was the one that this week felt like it was worth reading. Consistently, every week, Karen Gillan delivers the X-Men story that I think is the best, and it really breaks my heart to hear that he's wrapping up his time on the X-Men titles. And Matt seemed to have a very similar opinion. He thought that was the best of the stories. He thought the, you know, the mysterious desert location with the Krakoa Island inside is interesting. It kind of progresses the plot line of the where are the missing mutants stuff. And he told me he would have given it a 0.0. <laughs> no, not that. Uh, he said it was actually pretty good and it was good with 7.5. And that's exactly where I netted out on this as well. I'm pretty sure that uh, when Jason returns, he'll think this was the most interesting of the titles as well. So that that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed uh, the Ruben and Matt show and then the Ruben solo episode. I don't want to do this again. So Jason better get over his hangover and uh, rejoin us next week. All right. Read more X-Men comics. <laughs>